We got a real banger for you today. We are so grateful that Ted Cruz cut his vacation short to appear on today's program. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, fellas, this is this <laughs> is a big one. This is the big one. Man, the hype around this episode has really been building. Oh, and you know what? We even got a sponsor. We're brought, we're brought to you today by Americans for Public Trust. We're getting big. Man. We're all grown up. We're all grown up now. It turns out when you get hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people that listen to you, people, uh, they want to sponsor your program. That's, that's, that's some good news. We're, we're, we're getting up in the game. And, you know, folks, I, I, I think Josh is right. We've got a banger of an episode today. I mean, let's start with the fact that we have Senator Ted Cruz, who is obviously one of the, the biggest names in politics today. And he's had a five-day run where there is no name in politics that you've seen more than Senator Ted Cruz. Yeah, big get, big get for the show. And, Huge. Uh, I mean, that interview, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hell of an interview. Hell of an interview. And we tried something new. We did Smug and I both mm -hmm. on an interview. Yeah, ran the gauntlet. Give him credit for that. So, you know, a little temptation to stick around here. This sucker, you're going to like it. Honestly, it's the best interview that we've done. Uh, we got into everything. He was yeah. yep. hilarious. Uh, I mean, honestly, huge credit to him. Huge credit to his staff for letting him show up because <laughs> we did not pull any punches on this one. This is, this is the real deal. And he pretty much conceded the point, right? It was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm doing your podcast. It's awesome. <laughs> I love this show so much. Uh, you know what else I love is, I mean, it looks like we're going to sink near Tannen's confirmation. Oh, you get it to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> the Ruthless Variety Program, as you know, has been absolutely fixated on one nomination. Yep. And that is near Tannen. We have done... I think four episodes uh, on Miss Nira Tandon, and she's run into some serious turbulence. Yeah, for first-time listeners, Nira Tandon, those, those folks who don't know, Nira Tandon was the head of the Center for American Progress, which is essentially just like the pro-Hillary Clinton organization. Her entire life, Nira thought Hillary's going to be president, which would make her chief of staff of the White House, and you know what? A man named Donald Trump kind of destroyed that dream. So now Nira has somehow clawed her way to get nominated uh, as head of OMB, which is hilarious because, I mean, as we brought up previously on the program, if you look up Center for American Progress on Glassdoor, you have like a hundred reviews saying like, yeah, working there was fine, except management was awful. So, you know, the head of, of that organization being selected for the Office of Management and Budget when the problem there was management. Yeah, so we, we won't go through the greatest hits. We've got four to choose from. You should look back on all of our various NERA programming to, to understand why it is that she's so terrible. Let me just cliff notes it for you. She's terrible. She's <laughs> and, so, and so the latest update now is that Joe Manchin has announced that he's going to oppose her nomination. Susan Collins has announced she will oppose her nomination. And Mitt Romney has now announced he will oppose her nomination. So it's looking like it's down to Lisa Murkowski, folks. Yeah, that that is it. And so, you know, look, far be it from us to suggest what to do with your time. But I can promise you this. If we are able to sink near a tandem this week, we are going to do the most outrageous variety program song <laughs> that we've done today. We've done some shanties. Um, we have done some off-key songs. I swear how to dare, you. How dare you? I, look, it's a self-criticism, really. Um, <laughs> I will embarrass myself for this program. If we can sink near a tandem, I will, I will sing the most outrageous song possible. 
it yeah. is so worth it, folks. I'm going. I will suggest how to spend your time. Call Lisa Murkowski. Tweet at her, folks. We're at the 99 yard line. This song will be worth it. We sync Nira. I mean, wow. And while you're at it, everybody else, like if you're not in a state, if you're not living in Alaska, send your senator a note uh, too, because they, you know, it could be surprises. I saw, I saw Rob Portman, who's the ranking member on uh, the committee of jurisdiction also announced his opposition. So that's terrific. I mean, look, we're headed in the right direction. We just got to nail this sucker down. Yeah. The power of ruthless folks, the power of ruthless. And I'll just say, you know, like, look, I, I don't, want to pat ourselves on the backs too much but but we did an episode two episodes on the lincoln project and boom goes the dynamite adios right and then we got a, an episode in on old duck glow and out he went adios so here's nira uh we've done a bunch of episodes on nira it takes a lot to sink a cabinet level appointment it takes a village folks <laughs> we are on the precipice and look, I look. I have a selfish reason to want to sink Nira's nomination. And obviously, you know, she's done a lot of reprehensible things. Uh, she's called probably half of the Republican Senate conference uh, Russian assets. <laughs> personally, yeah. attacked them. I, I, I'll put all of that aside. I want Nira back on Twitter. Mm. She <laughs> is the Tiger Woods of shit posting, and, <laughs> and it is an absolute shame that she might go into the administration and we would lose that forever. So Nira, I want you back. Please come back to Twitter. If this nomination goes down, we get back some of the best shitposting content in political Twitter. So please call Lisa Murkowski. It's so good. It's the kind of posting you really want to set an alarm for about midnight every night and get up and check your phone and see what she's up to. Because after midnight is really when she comes alive. It's like gremlins. It's like, uh uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. My favorite, by the way, I think from the first episode that we did on her was the college student saying, Nira, it's 2.30 in the morning and we're arguing. <laughs> it's so amazing. That's dedication to the craft. You know? Absolute dedication to the craft. But the reason, by the way, that she's even in this discussion, because, you know, like if you've listened to what we've talked about, the oppo book is never ending. You might ask yourself, why in the world would somebody who has not taken leave of their senses ever nominate somebody like this? Like everything from outing sexual harassment to punching Mm -hmm. a political opponent to, to caustic, terrible conspiracy theories to basically alienating both the left and the right. She has zero constituency and literally nobody likes her. Why would you ever nominate this person? The answer is in our next segment. Yeah. And, and this is a cause that is very near and dear to me, as you folks, folks who follow me on Twitter know, is the, the dark money hypocrisy from the left knows no bounds. Um, like Americans for Public Trust is, is one of the organizations or conservative organization fighting to hold these folks accountable and to point out this liberal hypocrisy. Uh, so Nero was with CAP, one of these groups, and a number of these liberal dark money organizations spent over like $140 million to get Biden in there. And now they're essentially just saying like, okay, now, now we've come to collect what we paid for. So Docs, maybe because I think you've uh, tenured a dark money organization yourself on the conservative side, maybe you could enlighten the audience a bit who doesn't follow the ins and outs of the dark money world. Sure. Um, Of course, the term dark money came out of uh, the Citizens United ruling and the proliferation of of 501c3 and 501c4 organizations uh, in politics. Um, These are it's a tax status. Yeah, it's a tax status. You know, so so these are nonprofits who can um, accept um, you know unlimited amounts of money from private citizens to engage in um, policy work basically, um, supporting, you know, lower taxes or supporting the Second Amendment or whatever, um, you know, you think is important. Um, And, you know, these organizations, you know, when done correctly, serve, I think, a vital role in our democracy. And I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with with 501c3 and 
advocacy for organizations. The problem is the Democrats have a remarkable amount of hypocrisy when it comes to what they call dark money. And the reason why they call it dark money, uh, you know, when it applies to conservatives is because they want to harass and intimidate, you know, rank and file, you know, Republicans and conservatives who donate to these sort of organizations. That's it. You know, yes. so, and I can provide a little bit of color on that, because when I was McConnell's chief of staff, Democrats were obsessed with trying to eliminate and completely disclose nonprofits because they felt like in trying to pursue an agenda, just an extreme left agenda of Obamacare and everything else, that anybody who opposed that should be named and shamed, and then they should be subjected to cancel culture, right? So like what happened is any name of a donor that they got, they would basically run it through whatever you're seeing now and try to out them and ban their product and get them kicked off their country yeah, club yeah. board and everything they, else. They will either try to boycott them or they will they will straight up now show up outside their house, which we've seen a number of times. That's why that's why they are are, are trying to say, oh, we want disclosures because they want to have their activists show up outside someone's house and cause problems. And, and when that failed, and when that failed. Um, they decided to build a much larger, more intricate web of these dark money organizations to impact politics. But but here's the thing that, that gets me, is it's not like they stopped saying they wanted to eliminate dark money. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? They just did it in a 10 times more pro prolific fashion than anybody who's a conservative ever hoped to do. And it's become basically the backbone of your liberal democratic political organizations, which is where our friends at Americans for Public Trust come in. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the left has groups like Arabella Advisors, 1630 Fund, League of Conservation Voters, um, you know, even, even Planned Parenthood has a dark money group. And you never hear the left, you never hear like Sheldon Whitehouse try to say they need to disclose their donors no, instead, they are okay with these groups spending record sums. They spent, like I said, over $140 million to get Joe Biden elected. And now, like, a lot of these nominees have ties to those groups. This is just like, you know, pay-for-play uh, hypocrisy. So, yeah, and where I, I led into this was with Nero, right? Yeah. Yep. So who worked with Nero? White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain uh, helped lead CAP fund and was basically tied at the hip with Nira for years, right? So you ask yourself, like, how is it that this deeply flawed nominee who is underqualified and can't do the job would be nominated in the first place when you know you just have to spend all your political capital to try to get her to 51? Yeah, yeah. And, and the answer is because Ron Klain and this dark money group that they were working with, Center for American Progress, was was relying upon it was relying upon, upon her help them get to the white house in the first place i mean i think that says a lot that they're willing to like expend all their political capital they know it's like oh my god really like nira or like i mean ron Klein, who has just said the most idiotic things like these aren't they're not sending their best folks but it's because these dark money fund groups you know they've got center american progress action fund who, who, who's calling in the favor of like, hey, folks, we gave you the money. Now, you, now you're going to have our folks in there. Which, which ties the knot, right? Because look, I, am, I, I hate the, the lazy, stupid critique of like, hey, I gave you money, so I'm beholden to you type bullshit. I think that's just the dumbest. It's like the most lib, nonsensical brain dumbness that you can come up with. And except when an administration acts explicitly to show you what money matters and what money doesn't. And in yeah. this case, it is just in technicolor. There is nobody in their right mind who would ever nominate Neera Tandon to mow your goddamn yard yeah. if it wasn't for the influence of dark money on this election. Well, also, I mean, you've got things like you're seeing the effects of this instantly, like key, Keystone XL pipeline. There's a reason that they vaporize those jobs. Yes. And, and, and her name is Gina McCarthy. 
right? She led the Natural Resources Defense Council, which is a, a liberal environmental group. If you've ever followed them over the last few years, I mean, it is just completely through the roof left. And, and, and now here she is popping back up uh, after advocating for things like killing Keystone, uh, rejoining Paris Agreement, like basically all these completely left-wing ideas in the environment are now front and center. She's now in a position to call the shots with domestic climate policy. Like that's that should that should worry a lot of folks. And, and yeah. it isn't it, it isn't just just dark money when it comes to to Neera Tanda and Ron Klain. It's also in the teachers' unions. Yeah, and we've talked about this on the pod. Yeah, and and last week I said, you know, we are going to treat this reopening schools issue like we treated Georgia during the runoff, and that is we are going to talk about it. And we're going to continue talking about it. Yep. And teachers unions use dark money to support Joe Biden's bid for the White House. Now they're using that influence to keep schools closed. And it's it's so it's so obvious, Duncan. Like the thing is, is it when you listen to the director of the CDC unvarnished, she said, oh, yeah, we should get kids back in school is a very low transmission rate. We've found that the schools that have been reopened have operated very safely. We think that as vaccines progress with communities across this country, there's no reason why kids can't be in school. And then all of a sudden, she issues a statement a week later about the guidance from the CDC, noting explicitly that their guidance had changed after conversations with the teachers' unions. And you got American Federation of Teachers donating $2 million to Priority USA Action, Democratic Super PAC, who spent $44 million supporting Joe Biden. You got the National Education Association, which gave half a million dollars to take back 2020, another Democratic Super PAC. And then you also have AFT, who gave $175,000 to take back 2020 as well. So you've got these teachers' unions using all of their money to elect Joe Biden. And then suddenly the CDC has a change of heart. Weird how that works. It's funny, strange. Right? Funny, right? But yeah, I mean, bottom line is the thing is that like, you know, when the Dems, when the Dems came in, when Joe Biden arrived, he was like, oh, we're going to have unity. They promised unity. And what you're getting is just extremism. You're getting straight up extremism policy and personnel who he's trying to get in his cabinet all in service to these dark money donors. It's pay for play, like on steroids. It's and, out of control. And that's the point. That's the link, right? Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not like you can just look at an FEC report or look at you know whatever anybody's participation is in the political process and say like, oh, this politician is beholden to this person because they gave him a couple thousand bucks. That's lazy bullshit. But when you see appointments and you see an agenda that is directly linked in a way that, that obviously wouldn't be the case if it wasn't. Like, again, nobody would nominate Neera Tandon to do anything if it required advice and consent of the Senate. Nobody. Nobody. Do it, unless you were completely beholden. There isn't a single American who would look at what's happening with our schools right now and take the position that the Biden administration is taking with regards to reopening if you weren't beholden to the teachers unions. Bingo. And that's it. And you know, th this is, this has been a, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, this has been a cause near and dear to my heart is calling out the liberal dark money. Uh, so, you know, shout out to Americans for public trust. I, I invite anyone who's interested in it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll even tweet out the link because this group's doing a good job calling them out on it. It's Americans for public That's Americans for public you know, we got to we got to start calling them out, folks, because the hypocrisy is just out of control. And isn't there a, a bunch of I mean, there's a bunch of scuttlebutt in D.C. about conservative groups sort of locking arms here and, and getting behind. Yeah. What Americans for Public Trust are, are doing to try to expose some of this stuff, because God knows. I mean, it's not like the media is going to report. it. Yeah, that's the problem is, you know, I mean, they're 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 out there putting in the work trying to get these conservative groups together to get the word out on it. So. You know, we're happy to help in that endeavor. It's just going to be so great, guys, um, <laughs> that all of these dark money groups helped elect Joe Biden and now are exerting all this policy influence. And the Democrats are going to turn around in H.R. 1 
and say, those Republican super PACs are the <laughs> devil and yeah, must right? be destroyed. Get the fuck out of here. Like, I would love well, to have see Sheldon Whitehouse be like, oh, yeah, you know, we need League of Conservation voters to disclose their donors. We need we need uh, Planned Parenthood action to disclose all their donors. Not going to happen. Nope. I mean, they're ca- they're counting on and this is where Democrats play a good a good round of politics. They're counting on Republicans to do the right thing and block H.R. one, which is a voting. It's like a voting rights bill that includes things like vote harvesting and nationalizing elections, uh, making taxpayer funded elections, by the way, that's in there. That's in there. In other words, like it doesn't, you can't donate to a candidate. The government is going to do it for you. I mean, welcome to China folks. That's the way that runs. Right. I mean, it's just completely, completely bonkers, but look, we're going to stay on this issue because it is make, it is, it is making a difference in the way that they govern. If it was just a matter of dollars and cents, we would just figure out a way to compete with it and, and try to you know have Republicans go out and raise more money. But that's not the what's happening here. I mean, that's what's happening is that they're actually buying the agenda. Yep, yep. Pay to play, folks. Straight up. I think so, you know I what we should get into. Jeff, now? Yeah, moderate Jeff needs to play. <laughs> he needs to play our game show. This is a big one, folks. This, the 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 head to head. This is gonna be like Clash of the Titans here. This is a big one. My queen is back. Well, well, let me let me just lay it out for some of our new listeners here. What we are playing now, this this game show, is called King of the Hill. And what happens is Holmes and Smug have three tweets from their champion for the week. I serve as judge and jury, and it's a three-round contest. They produce a tweet, and they read it, and I judge who wins each round, best out of three rounds, and the winner is declared king of the hill. (laughs) Judge and jury. Yep, judge and jury. So here's the deal. The queen is returned. Hold on, hold on, sorry, Josh, I, I hear that the contenders are entering the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill, brought to you by the Ruthless Variety Program. And now, for the red corner. Hiding out of the Washington Post, standing five feet four inches tall, covered in cat hair, a woman who pretends she was once conservative, a two-time champion and MSNBC contributor, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And now, in the blue corner, your defending champion, fighting out of the great media outlet ABC, standing five feet seven inches tall, a captain of infidelity, a man who tweets birthday wishes to random strangers, and cop. Arnold Schwarzenegger himself, Matthew Mail Patterned I'm so excited. Oh. This, is, this is like the best. This is the best. What I mean, treat. it's the best. And I'm going to demolish you, Smug. I'm going to demolish you. Here's the thing is like, you know, everyone out there knows that Jen Rubin is like a force of nature when it comes to awful hot takes. But I, I have a feeling somehow Dowd maybe is a listener to Ruthless because over the past week, he has brought the A game. He caught a hot hand. Brain takes. Yeah, I mean, he went all out. He caught a hot hand. I'm, I don't feel good about it. I will say, like, I figured that this was going to be a 3-0, just a domination. And then I started seeing, I can't see it directly because he's blocked me for years, but I started seeing people retweeting his takes. And I was like, oh, no. 
Oh no, this might be a real competition. Yeah, I mean, some of these takes that he's had over the past week, I'm genuinely concerned for his mental health. Like, it seems like something is not functioning. There are some synapses that are not firing in the brain. The worms have eaten their way through some of it. But I mean, let's get him in the ring. So who is going first? So I gotta, the, the thing about it is, is that if you're a reigning champion, which Matthew Dowd is, you go first and last. That's fair. I mean, I think that's fair to me. I got, I got, you know, an embarrassment of riches here for takes. Um, wow. Which one should I roll with first? You know what? Let's do this. This is just absolute. This is absolute brainworms. Zero logic. Matthew Dowd, 8.35 p.m., February 17th. Blaming the Texas power outages on the Green New Deal is akin to a restaurant owner blaming his customers' food poisoning on the fact he was forced to use recycled paper to print his menus. What the fuck? Makes zero sense. (laughs) Dude, what? Is he just sitting there thinking of this? I mean, I think he's not thinking. I think he's not thinking. The, that that's the basic logic, you know, connections of a human brain that like infants can put together. I mean, he's lost that. The takes have taken over, folks. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna just demolish it, though. Oh, let's hear it. Jennifer Rubin, February twenty second. I find it stunning that a senator who would refuse to convict an ex-president based on overwhelming evidence has the nerve to sit on the Judiciary Committee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on. It's got to be doubt. No. I mean, it, wait. Recycled menus, a, dude. If you voted to acquit, you shouldn't be on a committee. The nerve. Brainworms. I mean, these are great. These are great tweets, fellas. <laughs> it's um. Yeah, you know, I think you know Jennifer Rubin has has a lot of incredible takes. Don't get me wrong. But Matthew Dowd here has given us really an incredible tweet. Recycled plates? Is that what it what was it? Well, he doesn't menus. even menus. know. It's not, it's it's no, this is this is nonsense. <laughs> oh no, it's right. It's, this it's, is it's nonsense. It's, it's, it's right. A recycling green new deal joke. Yeah, it's lefty. It's just kind of a liberal thing. It's a great take. It makes zero sense. It's oh, proof oh, of brainworm. This is somebody who basically says that if you're a Republican, you shouldn't sit on committees. Well, look, um, I'm going to let you read it again one more time, Holmes. Okay. I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. Okay. I find it stunning that a senator who would refuse to convict an ex-president based on overwhelming evidence has the nerve to sit on the Judiciary Committee. It is good. I mean, that's just rock solid. It's good. It's good. I just think, I think doubt is better. Oh, round one, round, round one goes doubt. to Smug. Because I mean, like, in, in his, his um, comparison, really, it would be recycled food, right? Yeah. It wouldn't be a plate. It wouldn't be a menu. He can't connect the basic ideas. He doesn't know what he's saying. It doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love it. I really thought I was going to, I was going to sweep. Look, it was good. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe my, my whole internal judgment is off just because I'm, I'm, I've gotten so desensitized to the Jennifer Rubin hotness. It's like the opposite of Jordan rules. Right, it's like she's so good. He has to work extra hard. You yeah, need she's, to handicap her a little bit. He has to fight her way through the paint. She gets elbows. Yeah, she gets slaps, but she still gets to the rim every time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, look, that's the burden I bear for for my queen. Participate. Also, I will say this is probably Dowd's best week. I mean, the guy was out of his mind. The past week, he was out of his mind. 
He, I, I, I mean, I, I got a lot of firepower. I want to see. I want to see what you bring for round two. I'm just gonna. All right. I'm gonna need. I need to even the score, obviously. So I'm gonna have to bring super hot take. Joe Manchin threw a fit when the first black vice president did a TV interview with his home state, the horror, and now opposes Neera Tandon on spurious grounds. Is his problem strong women of color? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, you can't. That's a walk off. Don't even. I mean, no, I no, no, no. See, that's lib brain. That's that's lib brain talking. Come on. I, I, I got some fire right here. Matthew Dowd, February 19th at 5 p.m., 5.06 p.m. I hereby ask Senator Ted Cruz to write a check to Beto O'Rourke for the money Ted has taken as payroll from the federal government since January 2019. Beto has done more for Texans as a private citizen than Ted has done as a senator. Please retweet if you agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) This guy is a... I'm gonna give He's you a credit. monster, dude. Please retweet if you agree with me. He I'm went gonna, there. I'm gonna give you like, <laughs> like, it's it's nuts, right? And I'm gonna give you an extra like. I'm not. This is this is playing against myself, but I will say because he's an ABC analyst, the RT thing is gold. I mean, it's insane, insane. Like usually, it's just like a boomer with seven followers who's going with the please retweet if you agree with me. But Dowd is that out of his mind. Well, it's also We're rolling it, with this. It's also like it's it's very like Twitter 1.0. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's like the way people tweeted in like 2010, 2011. <laughs> like like your name, and then it says is going outside. Yeah. RT, if you agree, you, you do not see this anymore, dude. He he is at an uh, this is he was on a whole nother level this past week. You can't you can't overlook the absolute insanity that is that is claiming that Joe Manchin is a racist because he's opposing Nira Tandon. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen, that's that's just a lip take. I've seen that from like your standard run-of-the-mill posters. Well, but, she, but he brings in, he brings in. Doubt is, doubt is going a whole nother level where he's demanding Ted Cruz pay Beto O'Rourke. This is and then he says, please retweet if you agree. I feel like this is a clear win. I'll give you credit for a great tweet, but I feel like it's a clear win. What's the judge? What's the judge say on this one? This is my hardest deliberation. <laughs> As someone who spends so much time on the internet, my own brain totally broken <laughs> by the technology that we use. I'm sorry, uh, Holmes. I, I got to give it to Dowd and no. boom. It's shocking, dude. I will, no. I will admit, I will admit any, like any other week, Ruben crushes Dowd. He just, I don't know what happened to him. Those this were great. Week. Look, there were great Jen Ruben tweets. Don't get me wrong. But like retweet if you agree. It's just, <laughs> it's just so incredible. It's so wild, dude. And like you said yourself, Holmes, it's like this guy's job is to be like a middle of the road political analyst. And he's like openly engaged in like 2010 boomer advocacy on Twitter. <laughs> dude, Stunning. You're, no, you're, you're, here's the thing. And I'm reluctant to admit it. You're right. You're right. It's insane. It's you, really crazy. You get different things. It's why March Madness is so fascinating. Bingo. Right? That's exactly it, what it's this like. Is. The one thing that you get out of Ruben is she's going to play a fast paced game and put a hundred on the board. And she's going to make like every week, 365 days mm-hmm. a year, 52 weeks out of the year, she's bringing hot takes. Yep. The question is whether you can have one week to match up with it. That, that it, dude, that's the perfect description. This is, this is Gonzaga beat Duke. This that's is- what just happened. This is this is the Baltimore. What is it? UMB University of Maryland, Baltimore the, the, beat Arizona Wildcat or beat the uh, Virginia Cavaliers. This is that's it. Right. What happened? It's what happened. But I will say he's now a back-to-back champion. That is something. He's just, he, he's he's scrapping. I'll I'll give this to you, Matthew Dowd. Keep them rolling. Keep them rolling. I mean, it's possible that he's totally broken, and I I. <laughs> I believe that he's very possible. He's completely broken. 
<laughs> he might be listening. <laughs> Maybe this is going to be like one of those things where I'm, I'm fielding never Trumpers one after another to try to compete. And I just can't get there. Dude, if Dowd becomes like the wall, I will be so proud of him. Like, well, so, so, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, you, you brought up, you know, March, March madness. I'm just curious what y'all think. I mean, what are we going to do for March madness? I mean, I feel like we got to adapt a, a game. Oh, show oh, oh no, we, we are apps. I'm absolutely bringing back the liberal hack tourney. We're going to bring it here on. Do think we do, I mean, do you think we do it as like a lightning round sort of thing where it's like yeah. one tweet or how, how do you do well, it? I think we're going to do it. Like we're going to let the people vote. We're going to definitely have to have like a selection Sunday because we, 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 I mean, we've shown how, how seriously we take selecting who, who are the best hacks out there in the game. Like, you know, we'll get our 64, we'll get our 65 with the play in. And, and it's got to be done for March. Let, let me just tell you, it is embarrassing the amount of time that we take. Yeah. It's selecting these people. We I mean, analyze it. it. I mean, and you have to, you know, these people, these are hacks that are bringing their A games. These are top tier broken brain you know, brain worm takes and we, and we, and they need to be, they need to get the recognition they deserve, you know, keep on posting folks. Amen. So, so meanwhile, and just in terms of King of the Hill, before we sign out of it, um, the rules are that if you lose King of the Hill, you have to sit out a week before you can return, which means that Ruben's on the shelf. I'm hunting for challengers, minions. <laughs> my DMs are open. Let's just get this. I love so much over the past week, like you'd see Ruben drop a crazy take and then the replies are just like, ah, Josh Holmes, that cop flu smuggle. Like, oh God, don't give Holmes the ammo. (laughs) Cause she's dropping the takes, man. She never takes a day off. I love the research arm of Ruthless. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Most powerful force on earth. Thank you, listener. So good. So Listen, let's get to the meat of the program. This is this is a big one. This is what everybody is talking about across it, the country. And they actually are, you know? I mean, the thing is, when we first started talking about putting together Ruthless, we wanted a lighter side, sort of comedic right view uh, where we could present the insanity of politics in D.C. in a way they could laugh about, but also, you know, learn a little bit of something for it. In the, in the course of going through this, we understood that there were an awful lot of people who wanted to come on mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of just like go through the interview. And, t- and we didn't anticipate that really. But then all of a sudden, like one led to another, led to another. And all of a sudden we became kind of like the destination for, you know, I don't know if it's 2024 or, or what, but an awful lot of really high profile Republicans wanted to show up here. So we reached out to Senator Ted Cruz and they wanted to come, which is fantastic for so many reasons. This interview, in my view, Smug, is the best one that we've done. I mean, it's it's amazing. It, Ted Cruz is the biggest name, as everyone knows, over the past week. You've seen the headlines. You've seen the stories. And now you're going to see and hear from Ted on Ruthless. We should get right into it. Senator Cruz, welcome to Ruthless. Glad to be with you, Josh. So, um, how was your weekend? <laughs> you know, calm, uneventful, not much of anything going on. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, there is, I didn't turn on the news without uh, a sighting of your dog, or, I mean, it was just, I think there was 35 different Washington Post stories about you this weekend. Look, I, I haven't had this much negative press coverage since Northern California in the 1960s. <laughs> Man, that, I, that took away the question I had about the Zodiac. Thank you so much for getting right to it. <laughs> it, it, it is a strange, strange business I've had. By the way, I've had multiple people out of the campaign trail come up to me and say, are you in fact the Zodiac killer? And, and my sort of standard response is, you know, if I was, I'm not sure you'd want to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, you took away half our program because we really wanted yeah, to get There goes it. all the Zodiac talking points. <laughs> Uh, but in all honesty, I, I, off the top, 
both of us and I know our audience is actually very curious about Texas and how things are going. I know there's an awful lot of people in your home state who are still sort of suffering there and, and uh, anxious to get your thoughts on that. Oh, look, it was a horrific week. I mean, we had not one, but two nasty storms that hit us one after the other. Texas is not, we're not used to snow, we're not used to ice, and so the state, anytime we get it, shuts down. Here, the combination, as you know, it knocked out uh, about four million homes lost power and, wow. and lost heat, and it, and it was an enormous problem. Um, I think a lot of Texans are, are rightly pissed off. I mean, we're the, the energy capital of the world. And we couldn't keep our friggin' lights on or our heat on. Yeah. And, and that's, that's infuriating. And so there, there are gonna be some very real questions about why the grid wasn't prepared to handle this and, and, and what were the, the policies at the state level governing the grid that, that created a condition where so many Texans could lose heat and power and, and an awful lot of folks lost water too. We have a lot of homes with busted water pipes. Uh, a lot of our communities had boil water notices. They're starting to lift those. Most of the homes have their power back on, but, but there's gonna be some rep repair and recovery coming out of it. And then an awful lot of discussion about how do we make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, is, that, is it the case that Texas's power grid is sort of disconnected from the rest of the country? Is that, is that part of the yeah. issue there? So, so it is. So we're, Texas has its own grid. It's governed by, by what's called ERCOT and, and we're not connected to the national grid. What that means is the feds don't get to regulate us. So, mm -hmm. so, so well, that's other good, parts. Good part of that. And, and, and that's a big part of the reason why we have our own grid is, is, is so that Texas can be in charge of it. And, and right now there's a big push from Democrats in the media to want to federalize energy in Texas. Mm -hmm. and, and I think most Texans don't want to see that. Um, it, it's one of the reasons people move to Texas is cost of living. Our energy prices are much lower than in most other parts of the country. You know, you look at a place like California where, you know, paying your utility, your electric bills, your, your, your bills are just much higher and, and Texans want to preserve that. And so we need to look at, okay, how do we keep low cost energy and, and, and a low cost of living so you can provide for your family, but how do we also make sure that we don't have four million Texans without, without heat and without power. Um, you know, it's interesting, so, so much of life is in the political sphere that this is being debated along the lines of the Green New Deal. And, and so each side, you know, the, the, the right is saying, well, this is all wind and solar. And the left is saying, no, 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 wind and solar have nothing to do with this. It, 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 it's, it's all coal and natural gas. I, you know, my view is we ought to actually look at the facts. We, we need to have, <laughs> a real substantive investigation into what happened. It's clear that, that wind and solar played a part. If you look in Texas, about 25% of our capacity, our energy capacity comes from wind. Texas is the number one producer of wind energy in the country. We produce a lot more wind than California does. But the problem, particularly with wind and solar, is that they're not steady and reliable. So that's 25% in the summertime. In the wintertime, wind drops to about 10 to 12% of our energy needs. And one of the problems we saw is that on Monday night, when the, when the first storm hit, that dropped to 2% as the huh. wind turbines froze. Okay. Yeah, because, now, I mean, there's been so many conflicting stories about what happened. And like you said, there's going to be a lot of investigating that needs to be done. But I'd heard everything from wind turbines froze to too many Californians have moved into Texas and brought the problems with them that, you know, <laughs> What, have you gotten any kind of an idea of, uh, from, from preliminary findings of what, what could have really led to this? Other than, as you mentioned, the, the amount of power that the windmills produced dropped down to like 2%. Yeah, so the wind turbines froze. That was a big problem. The snow and ice on the solar panels dramatically reduced the ability of solar panels to generate uh, electricity. There were also problems with both coal and natural gas production. And, and so those dropped significantly as well. And it was kind of a a perfect storm of all of those together. Um, one question, you know, you look at what the Green New Deal wants and, and it wants us to shift 100% to wind and solar and renewables. Well, when you see something dropping from 25% peak capacity to 2%, that, that doesn't give you a whole lot of comfort that you're gonna have reliable energy in, in, in a snowstorm or in another natural disaster. That's why you need some combination that is reliable. But, but we also need to look at, at at all of the different forms and how can you harden the grid uh, to make sure that it's consistent and reliable without 
you know, I was doing an interview uh, with a local uh, news anchor who was like, well, shouldn't we spend whatever it takes to ensure 100% reliability? And I said, well, no, not necessarily. We, we need to prevent this from happening again. But if you ask Texans, would you double your energy bills every month? Right. If you could decrease by 1% the chance of a power outage, most Texans would say, no, that's okay. Right. I'd, I'd rather spend the money on, on sending my kids to summer camp. Right. Um, so there's a balance. And, and, and one of the virtues of, of Texas not being in the national grid is it's going to be Texans making these decisions. And we're going to be debating it without uh, the feds getting in the middle of it. I think that's the right way to do it. So one of the things that our audience is keenly interested in is the health and well-being of Snowflake. Is, is <laughs> Snowflake, in fact, uh, doing well and prospering, heat back on? You know, look, I, I spend too much time on Twitter, so I've seen <laughs> apparently I, I literally fed Snowflake to the wolves. Um, and, and it uh, of all the ridiculous stories, look, I, I love Snowflake. He was home with a dog sitter, and actually the heat and power was back on. And so they, this, this reporter went to our house and took a picture of Snowflake looking out, out the front door, which he does most days. And whoever walks by the, the sidewalk, whatever dog, if a dog comes by, Snowflake will bark. He, every dog, he barks. And the whole thing is just, it, it, it's a little bit absurd. I mean, it's a little weird and, I mean, creepy and almost invasive that you have a journalist who spends their time trying to go and take a picture of your dog. I don't know. It seems really it, it, creepy it, to me. It is really creepy. Um, even more creepy, frankly, was paparazzi went down to the beach and, and took pictures of Heidi in, in oh. her bikini. Now that is, yeah. And the New York Post ran all these pictures of, of Heidi in her bikini. And I will tell you, that she is pissed about. All the rest of it, she's fine, but she's... Now I'm sitting there. Look, I, Heidi is smoking hot, so I looked at the picture and said, "Man, you you look great." But you know, she's I, yeah. I I I don't think there are many women that would be thrilled to have reporters following them around, taking pictures of them in their bikinis, and and then sticking them in the pages of the New York Post. But that's 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 what what goes by journalism these days. And someone along those lines, you know, we were speaking of investigations earlier. I was wondering if you had been able to. We don't need a specific name. Investigated the individual from that text message group who leaked the conversation <laughs> because that is just of all the betrayals. I would spend time on that, but I, yeah, yeah, I, I would <laughs> really, I know some folks I'd put on the case for that, something like that. Yeah. I will say Heidi's pretty pissed at that. She actually was over to a neighbor's house yesterday, sort of walking through. So she texted several of our neighbors. Now look, our neighbors, we've got a number of Republicans who are neighbors, but we also have a number of Democrats. Right. And so, you know, with folks on our street who put up Beto signs, which I thought was a little, That's a little, uh, a little rude. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I was, you know, I didn't like hold a victory party in the front yards when we, when we won. So, you know, I was, uh, look, obviously it's a sign of how ridiculously politicized and nasty and, and just, you know, here's a suggestion. Just don't be assholes. Yeah, like, right. like, just, you know, treat each other as human beings. Have, have some degree, some modicum of respect. Heidi and I have lots of friends who are Democrats. And, and you know, we'll, we'll sort of laugh and say, in fact, one of, one of our friends who, was Demo who are Democrats said yesterday, she said, I can't believe this. I'm defending the right. And I, and I said, that's all right. <laughs> You know, it, uh, although I got to warn you, it's dangerous. Once you start doing a little Once you get thing, started. You just start, you, you, it's a slippery slope and come on over. She's like, no! <laughs> we just need to laugh a little bit and, and you know, loosen up. Yeah, totally. I, I completely agree. I've got two uh, items of business uh, that I know you've been paying a lot of attention to. One is the nomination of Neera Tandon, which yep. I, I saw you speaking about last week. It seems to me with Senator Manchin coming our way and Susan Collins and Mitt Romney saying today they're opposing her, it seems like that's on the rocks. You got to think that it is. I mean, we were on a path for Joe Biden to being the first president since Ronald Reagan to get every one of his cabinet nominees appointed, uh, which, which didn't make a whole lot of sense in a 50-50 Senate. Yeah. Um, you know, with Manchin coming out against her, it's clearly on the rocks. You know, she is an active Twitter warrior. I know Rob Portman held up a stack of, I've got nine pages of tweets about Ted Cruz, <laughs> which, which sort of reminded me of McCarthy and I've got a list in my pocket. And, and 
actually, what it really made me think is, is that Nertan must not be a very effective tweeter because I don't think I've ever seen a tweet she sent about me. And if she sent nine pages, she needs to get a little more, uh, more effective. You know, Rob read, read something about how vampires have more heart than I do. And I'm you know, like, okay, what, I don't know what you got to get against vampires, but. <laughs> yeah, I can give you the clip. The Cliff Notes version is that we're all Putin's tools uh that's all of us actually smug myself senator cruz you clearly have nine pages worth of uh of derogatory remarks but she is prolific let me just tell you she yeah, is... the conspiracy theories that were coming out of her twitter wow. account are really something else I well mean... comrades i don't know what she's talking about <laughs> <laughs> so so all right well we can hope and pray that neera tandon is not uh, confirmed on that but the set the second one you actually had uh, today with Merrick Garland. How did that go? You know, he's doing pretty well at his confirmation hearing. And uh, Judge Garland is someone, he's a serious man. He's someone who he spent 23, 24 years on the bench as a federal appellate judge. He's got a reputation of integrity. He's got a reputation of not being a, a partisan warrior. And so the hearing is actually going quite well. I mean, the Democrats are all uh, you know, just singing his praises. But even the Republicans, frankly, in the spectrum of people Biden could have nominated to be AG, and there are some crazy right, partisan yeah. nut jobs that he, mm -hmm. that he could have nominated. Uh, Garland has much more of a reputation for being nonpartisan. Now, I mean, a lot of my questioning focused on, look, for eight years of the Obama administration, DOG was, DOJ was ruthlessly partisan. Are you going to be able to stand up and stop that? You know, whether it was the IRS targeting conservatives, right. uh, whether it was um, Operation Choke Point trying to shut down uh, gun sellers we had, or whether it was Crossfire Hurricane targeting uh, Republicans and going after them. Garland at least said he would stand up and fight against that. Mm. Now, I don't know that I believe that necessarily. I think there's going to be enormous pressure. I also think there's going to be lots of minions at DOJ. Uh, sorry, sorry, Smug, but minions <laughs> in a bad sense. Um, who are going to do really bad stuff. And, and I don't know how confident I am that Garland is, is going to be able to or even necessarily want to rein them in. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping the commitments he's making today, we can at least hold them accountable to if, if DOJ doesn't meet that standard. I would be thrilled to see a Department of Justice that is not a, a partisan attack machine the way it was uh, under Obama. And, and, and so we'll see what happens, but I, but I do think Garland's doing, doing a good job so far. Yeah, that's, that's good. Well, look, I, I can only be an improvement over the Obama Justice Department, as you mentioned. I mean, I, I even forgot about the Lois Lerner IRS stuff until recently. I mean, there was absolutely no repercussions for any of that. They just sort no. of walked on it. Just incredible. Yeah. Um, so the other question that our audience is dying to know about, which are big Ted Cruz fans, I might add. Are you giving some thought to running for president? Well, you know, I did plan to make an announcement here on this podcast. That's what I was Wonderful. That's, <laughs> this, is, this is the place to do it. Uh, and, and the announcement is Texas is an amazing state, the greatest state in the history of the universe. That's my announcement. And we'll, look, we'll see what the future holds. Uh, obviously, I, I ran in 2016, and we came really damn close. Mm -hmm. And it's the most fun I've ever had in my life. And, is that right? Because I was going to ask about that. Was that is, the experience itself was worthwhile. I, I loved every I mean, winning Iowa had to feel great. I, I remember I, it that. Was, it, it was winning Iowa was great. We ended up, you know, we won 12 states. Um, we, what was incredible, frankly, was the, the grassroots enthusiasm. You know, we had in that 2016 campaign, we had 326,000 volunteers. Wow. Uh, we raised $92 million, the most money any Republican has ever raised in the history of presidential politics. Uh, that came from 1.8 million contributions. And, and it was, we would see all the time, all right, one of my favorite stories, oh, two, two stories from that campaign to just give a sense of the, the feel on the ground. One, at the California State Convention, these two little kids, a, a little boy and little girl gave, came up to me, and they were probably six, eight years old. 
and and they said that they had just had a lemonade stand the weekend before and they had envelopes of all the quarters they had collected and they contributed them to the campaign the quarters from their lemonade stand because they said we got to save our country it's wonderful and when you're looking at little kids who are giving you their lemonade money i mean that's a uh, that takes your breath away totally. um a related story so in indiana um heidi was uh talking to going to a volunteer center we had a bunch of volunteers making phone calls and and a woman stopped her and 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 said um heidi i've got a letter i'd like you to give give ted she said oh, okay great um and and she said uh you know my uh my husband is from bulgaria uh and and I'd like to be ambassador to Bulgaria. And and Heidi kind of pauses and she sort of smiles a little bit, like, okay, this is a bit <laughs> the big ask. That's the big ask right there. <laughs> but but here's what's interesting. So the response, she, she, she the woman stopped and said, Look, I get it. I know that ambassadorships, they go to rich people that write giant checks and raise a ton of money. And she said, you know, my husband and I, we don't have a lot of money. We can't do that. But she said, you know, I've made 10,000 phone calls for this campaign. Wow. And she said, wow. you ought to be able to become an ambassador by making 10,000 phone calls. She's got and, a point. I mean, Heidi that's just looked at her and said, you are damn right. I mean, but that that's what we were seeing on the ground is just people pouring their hearts into it. So that's inspiring. It's inspiring to see the passion people put into it. Oh, that's really neat. That's a great story. Do you think there's anything different in, in your perspective if you were to run again I mean, clearly everybody learns a lot each year that you spend in politics. I mean, I've, I've been doing this 20 years. I feel like the world is so different each and every cycle, let alone a decade ago. You feel like there's a there's just a sort of a different approach or other things that you learned along the way? Well, look, sure. I mean, look, the world changes a hundred times before lunchtime. And and in politics, that's all been been accelerated. Well, look, Josh, I'll give you an example. If we were to jump into, say, a hot tub time machine and go back to 2013, and you were to tell the 2013 Josh Holmes, yeah. you're going to be asking Ted Cruz to go on your podcast. What would you say to that? I would have strangled him to death. That, that is, that's pretty amazing. That is amazing, right? And if you would have told Senator Ted Cruz that you would be going on Josh Holmes's podcast, you would have set your staff on fire. <laughs> yeah, true, true enough. So, you know, look, the, the, the world is, is a strange and crazy place. And listen, there's no doubt as you go through battles, um, you get scars. I mean, you know, if you're in battles, you're, you're taking incoming and you're fighting back, but you also have a level of experience where to, to mix your metaphors, it's not your first rodeo. Yeah. Um, you, you know how they're going to attack, you know how to drive forward and to win a fight and, at, and you know at this point we've won a lot of fights there's other fights we didn't win but w but we fought the good fight and and i do think if you look at the impact of trump look as a party we're all debating sort of what's the post-trump republican party look like um i think there's some folks in in washington that want to just go back to the the status quo ante go back to pre-trump pretend it never happened it was this strange and terrifying anomaly, and let's go back to business as usual. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't yeah. think that's where the country is. I don't think that's where the party is. And I think the biggest shift that Trump represented that is really important is I think the Republican Party is a blue-collar party. Yeah. We're the party of the working class, and the Democrats are the party of wealthy coastal elites. And yep, that absolutely you know how that shakes out that's a big shift for a party that that was the chamber of commerce party for a totally. long time that's just um you know i do think listen the best characteristic about donald trump is the guy's got backbone he didn't shy away from a fight and i think republicans were desperate for you know don't be you know don't be a jellyfish like stand up and when the press attacks you don't run away and hide, but like fight back. And Trump was very good at that. And I think people want someone who will stand and fight. You know, there were also a lot of self self-inflicted uh, wounds. And 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 you know, whether on Twitter or on comments, he would say or tweet things that that a lot of us wish he wouldn't. 
Right. Um, and, and so I do think going forward, we are and should be the party of jobs and the blue collar and the working class. We need to be effective. We need to be willing to fight. We need to be willing to stand up to cancel culture. But I think people also want leaders who are effective and, and not shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to wrap up this segment, though, um, you know, you said we'll give you time to decide whether you run or not. But can we at least get your pledge that if you do, you'll announce it here on the show? <laughs> it's it's a good try. He's got to shoot um, a shot. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what. I'll say this will be one of the places I might announce it. Oh, right. wonderful. We'll, we'll take, take that. that. We'll take that. We'll definitely take that. All right. We're going to do three lightning round questions we ask every guest. They're revealing, and you'll know exactly why they're so revealing. Uh, number one, your last meal on earth, Senator Cruz, what would it be? Beef enchiladas. Oh, that's a good one. Good pick. Oh, that's very, and, and very specific. I like that. Brevity. Um, and in fact, I had lunch yesterday at Ninfa's in Houston and had, uh, had tacos al carbon and not beef enchiladas, but uh, in the same family. In the same family, that's right. Second question is, if you weren't in politics, what would you be doing? The realistic answer is I'd be a lawyer. That's what I was doing before. I like being a lawyer, arguing at the Supreme Court. The, the fantasy answer yeah. uh, would be either a movie star or the starting point guard of the Houston Rockets. And, See, I, and I like that. other that's than good. talent and speed and, and, and ability, I, I'm perfectly suited to both those roles except for those minor failings. Listen, Rand Paul told us he was going to play Major League Baseball, so you're entitled to be an actor or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rand's probably a better base, had a better shot of being a Major League player than I had of being starting point guard in, on the Rockets. I, I did play high school ball, but I, I rode, rode the bench uh, uh, through, through high school basketball. Well, and you backed down Jimmy Kimmel, right? I mean, that's that got to be worth there something. There you go. And, and that was the ugliest game of basketball in history i mean we played one-on-one -on -one. okay the thing you gotta understand is we beat the living crap out of each other i mean it was basically the fouls i mean we would like hook an elbow and just like slam the ribs the next day I, I was walking into the bathroom heidi looked at me she's like oh my god i probably had 75 bruises up and down my torso and i mean both of us i beat him 11 to 9 which, yep. And uh, let me tell you, neither one of us wanted to lose. I mean, this was what it reminded me of, and I actually invoked it at the end. Do you remember Rocky Four? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Where Rocky and Ivan Drago, and they're both falling down and just pounding and pounding. That's what it felt like. Like, both of us nearly died. Amazing. <laughs> and, and we were just shocked to, to, to be at the win. So, so that, was, uh, that was pretty surreal. Oh, we took great pride in knowing that you put down Jimmy Kimmel. I'll be honest with you. You couldn't have had it any other way. And he hates to this day. Hates. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So every time Kimmel makes fun of me, I just sent out a video that we put together called Buckets and Blocks, and it's just a highlight film of me what? scoring on him and blocking him and blocking him and blocking him. This week, I think every single day this week, he's put out a video slamming me for, for Cancun and, and Snowflake. <laughs> And I didn't pop him on buckets and blocks. I'm just just sort of letting it go. But don't worry, it'll come again. And yeah, you got it. Yeah, it'll be loaded up. I have no. And doubt. Jimmy for the and for the rest of Jimmy's life, every NBA player that goes on his show he is going to know that he got his ass kicked at hoops by me. There it is. There it is. <laughs> All right. Third and final question: What motivates Ted Cruz more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Victory. Um, I hate to lose, but I'm not afraid of it. Um, I actually, when I was younger, I kept a file folder that was called failures. And, and I would collect things that I tried for that I didn't get. And I, I, remember, I remember in high school, like sitting there, we're talking about a, a bunch of us were in math class in high school and we're talking about a scholarship and maybe applying for a scholarship. And several of the, the other kids said, well, well, if we do that, we might fail. And I remember thinking, all right, how strange that is. Like, like, you know, if, if you're afraid of failing, you just lock yourself in your room and never do anything and you'll never fail. You just won't accomplish anything. Um, and so, you know, I mean, we all know Teddy Roosevelt's famous uh, speech, the man in the arena, yeah. which, which, which I had on my wall for years. 
but I'm, I'm a big believer in being in the arena, you know, not one of those cold and timid souls uh, who knows neither victory nor defeat. And, and so, um, let's see, on my desk or behind my desk, ah, I've got this thing, which sat on Ronald Reagan's desk in the Oval Office for, uh, for eight years. It can be done. And, and, and believing in the power of victory and what can be accomplished, that, that, that makes the fight worthwhile. I love it. And, and just for the record, when you picked it up, all I could see is C-A-N. I was hoping it didn't say Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I left that one a little further back. <laughs> Senator Cruz, this has been absolutely terrific. We, we can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you for having me. By the way, you said you want this, this pod to be fun. What you need to do is do a podcast where between every question, the, the, the hosts and the guests do tequila shots. Oh, there you go. All right. And, and, and by the way, I've been a big fan of having a presidential debate where every candidate between the questions and the moderators do tequila shots because by the end, you'd get some candor that ain't never been seen before. <laughs> you know I what? You I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I will be happy to moderate that debate when Ruthless is a sponsor in 2024. <laughs> I, I think that, that, that has to happen. We will, we will have our people reach out about the tequila debate. That is, that is for sure. Thank you, Senator Cruz. We appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, guys. So he's definitely running for president, right? <laughs> he has to. He has to. I want, I want the ruthless sponsored tequila presidential debate. But does that this count? This, does this count? You see, this is the thing is, is, is we would obviously want anyone who's running for president to be interviewed on the pod. Does he have to come back on? Because oh yeah. I yes. say he's got to do it. You know. He's got to announce on Ruthless. I think every 2020, it's become clear. If you're running in 2024, you have to announce on Ruthless. Or we cyber bully. Yeah. Or we cyber or, bully. Yeah, we we'll cyber bully the hell out of you. Very yeah. simple. Yeah. And, and the, thing is, <laughs> the thing is, is like we had Tom Cotton on first guest just because he's a hell of a guy and wanted to come on and like help us out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yep. and like, what we didn't anticipate is that this would actually be a destination for potential candidates. And I don't know if Tom Cotton's running for president. I don't know if Ted Cruz is running for president, but if they are, uh, they got great interviews on Ruthless. Let's just keep this thing rolling. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say it folks, this is uh, Ruthless is where Republicans go to announce their runs. It's where 2024, the primary will be decided. The Ruthless primary the is ruthless the primary before the primary folks. Listen, I will say this. I will say this. If you are a communications director or somewhere in the communications office of some of these like potential candidates, the question is, if you book your your principal on like you know a cable news show, how much traffic are you really going to get? Unless yeah. they like fall and split their pants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like if you come on ruthless and you do a good job, man, people are all over it. Yeah. Right. I mean, look at the coverage this interview got even before it got out there. People love it. It's the ruthless primary, folks. People We're are saying. Many people are saying. <laughs> so are that saying. is a banger of an episode. I mean, definitely one of our best. They're all great, but this was this was a, this was a special one, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're loving all the support that we're getting, the listener numbers, the feedback. We appreciate all of it so much. So, until next time, minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.